Hello, my dudes. Welcome back to Previously Gifted. I don't know. I feel like I said dudes weirdly there. Uh, also, if you're watching on YouTube, the intro dance is, of course, happening as it always does. I think I naturally have just developed this kind of, like, actual consistency to the dance. It's like a drum and then a little spin and, like, a little bit of this. So, yeah, hope you enjoy that. Today, I want to talk about friendship and adult friendships and loneliness. That's gonna be the central topic of today's podcast, but I'm gonna start with some icebreakers because I'm testing out a new format idea. And then of course, just as last time, I'm going to give you my list of movies from the last week or so and tell you what I thought about them because I've been watching a lot of stuff. So um, I asked you guys on Instagram to give me some icebreaker questions, and <laughs> these are a few that I got. Um, I just feel like it's easier to dive in to the podcast with something, you know, a little light. Just break that freaking ice. So someone asked, uh, best birthday I've ever had. And <laughs> this is a tough question, but it's relevant because my birthday is coming up. My birthday is on, on uh, October 5th. And so you're very welcome to tell me happy birthday, to post in your story, to tweet me. That makes me sound like such a pretentious YouTuber. Like, oh, I just, I can't wait for you to post your happy birthday messages to me. When really it's like, okay, first of all, let's talk about the evolution of how people address birthdays because this is a whole thing. Do you remember on, well, first of all, Facebook, writing on your friend's wall, that used to be a thing. You could get hundreds and hundreds of posts on your birthday and it was lovely. We love the attention. Um, of course, the birthday calls and texts from closer friends and family are a staple. But then we moved on to Instagram and there was a trend where like you'd do a feed post and you'd make this great collage of your your whole friendship's history and that was always nice because like as the receiver you're like you get to see all the different people that you're important to and actually this is related to friendship so that's good but um yeah so that I I always felt like I loved those posts maybe it's the fact that my love language is, uh, what the fuck? What is it? Talking? No, that's not it. Words of affirmation. That's what it's called. Um, so I feel like with the birthday posts always came a really mushy caption about how much I mean to you and our, our friendship's history. So <laughs> I used to love those. And I did used to measure you know, who's a close friend based on who makes me a collage birthday post. And then, of course, when the carousel feature came to Instagram, then it was like, oh, cool. Now you can just post, you know, 10 pictures or so. So, um, yeah. And I used to do all my birthday posts for my closest friends as well. And that was really fun. And then um, with stories on Instagram, that's kind of replaced the typical birthday thing because like, did we get a little bit tired of seeing everyone else's birthday posts for everyone they know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Like, if you're posting a post on your feed every time you know someone with a birthday, I mean, that's just a lot, you know? Like, we don't, we don't want to see it, but also we like it for ourselves. So it's very, 
perhaps a little hypocritical. So then stories became a natural thing because it's like, oh, it's only kind of temporary. It doesn't mess with your feed. And like you can post silly pictures or videos. It is a good format for birthday shout outs. Um, and also, yeah, it doesn't disturb anyone's newsfeed, I guess, if birthday messages are disturbing to you. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm about to turn 25, October 5th, 10, 5, 95, turning 25 in this year of 2020. Wow, numbers. Um, <laughs> so I'm a little bit nervous for my birthday because what if nobody gives me a post? So if you're listening to this, please, God, give me a birthday post. Specifically, if you are an actual friend of mine in person, I'm just laughing because I don't think... Almost anyone who knows me in person actually listens to this podcast. If you do, let me know, but whatever. All I'm saying is uh, I'm feeling a little bit of the insecurity that I will be talking about in this podcast episode. But your question was not any of this, so I don't know why I got into this. Best birthday you've ever had. When brainstorming this, because I wanted to have an answer, uh, I couldn't think of any. I don't think I've ever had any standout birthdays. I feel like I've always been that person who's like, "Ah, birthdays, like they're whatever. Like, you know, I just want to hang out with a couple friends, maybe go to dinner, which is still true. Um, I like to have a low key birthday. I just want a few people around because that's that's how I am in terms of friendships. I like to have my my close group. I don't need a big surprise party with everyone I know invited. That would probably overwhelm me, actually. But um, (laughs) so what? Like. I can definitely think of my worst birthday, so I will share that with you. Uh, My worst birthday was for my fifth grade birthday. I was turning 11, and I believe it was in November, the actual party, because my best friend at the time had a birthday in December, and mine was in October, and we wanted to have a combo birthday party. So our party was a month off from each of our birthdays. Love that. Totally fifth grade. We love it. So... It was at my friend's house. We invited a bunch of people, including my crush from elementary school. And our, I would say frenemy at that point because I already kind of had some beef with her. But this girl shows up and there was a whole confrontation because this is a lot and I don't want to get into it. And if she's listening, which she's not, hi, it's okay now. But yes, this was major beef when we were 11. Okay, at least on my end. Essentially, this girl showed up with a, I don't know if it was like a cast or something, but she said that she was like injured in some way and I didn't believe her. I thought she was trying to take attention away from our party. And so I think I called her out on it. I don't know what I said, but um, everyone ended up yelling at me. And then I was crying in my friend's garage, waiting for my dad to pick me up to take me home early from my own party. So that was the worst birthday I've had. And that actually caused a whole bunch of drama for the rest of fifth grade. Wow, a tumultuous year. Honestly, my most dramatic year, I think. So, uh, yeah, that's a memory. That That's probably why I do not want to try the whole, like, let's invite everyone we know thing, because the first time it happened, it, you know, didn't really turn out well. Also, I would say, like, when I was a kid, like, literal baby to, like, probably seven, my go-to was Chuck E. Cheese. And if you have never experienced the joy of, like, a 90s or early 2000s Chuck E. Cheese birthday, I'm sorry. But essentially... The animatronics 
from the 90s are burned into my memory. And also they're on so many of our home videos because all of our birthdays were there. Me and my, my siblings and my uncle who's around our age, uh, we were always at Chuck E. Cheese and it was the best. So <laughs> those were good birthdays. I was totally down, literally eat some pizza, play some games and mess around with the animatronic band. <sighs> I almost wish I could go to Chuck E. Cheese, but it's 2020, we're in a pandemic. Uh, a lot of Chuck E. Cheese's are probably bankrupt. And also I'm turning 25 and I don't have children. So it would probably be weird, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so in terms of your actual question, I took so long to avoid answering this. I'm gonna say I've had a lot of good birthdays, solid birthdays, but nothing really comes to mind in terms of like best birthday. So I'm gonna leave it at that. And in terms of my expectations for this year, I mean, absolutely rock bottom. That's kind of predictable, right? Like who, at this point in this year, if you have expectations for like a, a great birthday, I don't know what to tell you, you know? Like it's okay, it's fine for us to have an average day. My parents both just had their birthdays their late September birthdays. So I feel like I've been in the birthday mode. It's Libra season. It's good. Um, I'm just not expecting a lot. Also though, my sister is gonna have her baby soon. Like that baby could be born on my birthday, which I told her I hope doesn't happen because I selfishly don't wanna share my birthday with my first nephew. So as much as I'm excited for that child to come into the world, uh, don't steal my birthday, please. Also, I found out years ago that October 5th was the most common birthday at that time. I don't know if it's still true now. I'm sure it's changed. But yeah, the one time I was like, huh, I wonder what the most common birthday is. Of course it was mine. Of course. So, shouts out to all my other Libras. Shouts out to my October 5th babies, if you're listening. I hope we have a good birthday. What am I hoping for my birthday? I think it's on a Monday. I think it's a week from today that I'm recording this, yes. So my expectations are low. I think I want good food. There's a place that has vegan cheesecake that I would like to get some cheesecake from. Uh, and maybe some takeout and watch a movie. But that's, that's pretty standard. So yeah, I'm excited. I mean, 25, 25, baby. One cool thing is I actually have a time capsule video for myself to watch. Uh, you'll see probably posted on my second channel, but I get to watch that on my 25th birthday because that's when my past self addressed it to my future self. So really excited about that. <laughs> cool. Next question. That was quite an icebreaker. Thank you. Um, someone asked if I was ever part of any fandoms, TBT to the Tumblr days. And I've actually thought about this a lot recently because um, I just cannot relate to a lot of people's like, awkward teenage or like middle school years. Um, also, I've been watching the show Pen15 uh, because someone in one of my classes mentioned it and I was like, oh, I think I've heard of that show, but I've never seen it. It's on Hulu and it's basically these like 30 something year old actresses playing themselves as middle schoolers, like 13 years old in the year 2000. So <laughs> even though I was only five in the year 2000, uh, I think I can still relate to a lot of this stuff in the show. And also it's just a great, awkward, uncomfortable uh, show <laughs> anyway. But uh, yeah, it's made me think like, 
I don't think I was, I was definitely awkward and weird in middle school because literally everyone is. But um, sorry if you heard me. I think I just, I think I like burped as I breathed in. I don't know how that happens. If you didn't hear it, disregard. Uh, I was definitely weird in some ways in middle school, but I think I was also kind of cool in middle school, dare I say. I think like, uh, you know, I had a lot of guy friends, like my friend group was very co-ed. So like, like some people's middle school experiences, like being uncomfortable around the opposite sex or whoever you're attracted to. I didn't, I, of course I had that, but like, I, I was cool. I was a cool 12 year old. Hmm, that's saying a lot. Um, I also joked for a long time that I peaked in eighth grade because that's when I won the best personality superlative. And also I was president of my uh, middle school. So was I slightly popular in a completely arbitrary way? And probably no one else was invested in this election, but I still use it as, you know, uh, proof of my popularity, which literally means less than nothing today. Yes. Was I also president of my elementary school in fifth grade when I had that notorious fight? Yes. Were a lot of the people involved in the drama also in student council with me and it caused a lot of strife? Yes. <laughs> Are those questions that anyone else asked? No. Um, back to your question. No, I was never part of any fandoms. I've, I've seen so many people, you know, talk about, uh, you know, writing fanfic or loving One Direction or loving whatever, loving different shows. And I was on Tumblr, but I think that was around when I was like a freshman in high school. So I was older and I just wasn't like, I wasn't on the fandom part of Tumblr. Like I'd see stuff about like Doctor Who pop up, but like, that was never what I was personally interested in. So yeah, weirdly, I was never part of any fandoms and I cannot really relate to any of that like young Stan dedicating my life to this show or artist or person or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what was I doing when I was in middle school? Walking around with my friends unsupervised with like $3 in my pocket to try to entertain me for a whole day? That was pretty much it. Um, and my last question... My last icebreaker. Someone asked me two things that I think I'm very good at. And um, I just wanted to talk about something. I, I saw a few comments that were saying like that I'm too hard on myself and I'm trying to accept that. <laughs> I do agree. I definitely, I know that I've been very, not even in like a funny way, but sometimes like self-deprecating. I think I am very hard on myself and I think I've been harder on myself, even as I've done better on YouTube, for example. Um, I feel like I'm harder on myself because my standards keep changing and I keep aiming for higher and higher quality stuff. And yeah, yeah, I am. I am hard on myself for sure. So I thought this was a good question because I'm trying to, <laughs> to uh, intentionally be a little more confident in myself and not put myself down so much. So we'll see if I can do it. One thing I think I'm pretty good at is helping people fix problems or make like a plan. So like I, part of this is me uh, not being controlling, but like, yeah, like I want to help people so much that I'm like, hi, let me do this for you. Tell me the details and I will fix this for you. That's super vague, but I do this a lot, especially with my little brother, um, whether it's like financial stuff and I'm like, oh, give me the information, I'll make you a budget, I'll make you a plan, 
or like other questions that he has. Like, I just feel like I'm, <laughs> I am a big sister. So part of that is just my, my natural responsibility in this role. But yeah, I, I, I do think I am good at that. And I think that's a part of my personality that I like in that the people that I'm very close to, I want to help you in whatever ways I can. And um, again, not to like be mean to myself, but I feel like that's not a part of my personality that a lot of people necessarily see, or maybe not that I show or talk about a lot is like my compassionate side or like, you know, just like, I don't know. I don't know what you people see (laughs) out of all the things that I post online. So I don't know uh, if that's true, but yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a people fixer, you know? And hopefully that's a good thing. A net good thing. I'm, I'm trying to not be like meddling. Like I don't want to be like, let me control everything. But I also am like, hi, I'm witnessing you having a challenge or maybe you're struggling in a way. May I offer my services? <laughs> May I help you? Thanks. Uh, and then the second thing. <laughs> it wasn't very easy for me to think of a second thing that I think I'm very good at. Which again, maybe I just haven't. I haven't been doing this enough. I haven't been reflecting and being nice to myself and complimenting myself enough because uh, when this question is raised, nothing comes to mind. But I generally just wrote YouTube. (laughs) So I think I think I can admit to myself pretty uh, affirmatively, you know, just using numbers as validation, external validation for my success. Uh, on one hand helps because that's like, it's almost more objective. It's not just that I'm saying I'm good at YouTube, but I'm like, look, look at all these people who also like me and say that I do good stuff. That counts. But also I want to remind you that external validation is not necessary to prove to yourself or anyone that you are good at something because a lot of people are underrated or a lot of people are just waiting to be discovered specifically in the context of YouTube or art or online stuff or something. But um, yeah, so that's a weird, uh, (laughs) that's a weird contradiction to, to feel. But also I think when I watch my videos, especially like some of my favorite videos I've ever made, I rewatch them and I'm like, damn, this is good stuff. So I think even just relying solely on my own validation to myself, I can admit I am good at this. I am very good at this making content, writing scripts, researching, even this podcast. It's definitely probably an acquired taste, but um, I enjoy making it and there are people who enjoy listening to it. And if that's you listening right now, first of all, thank you. Also, let me just say, uh, would you please take a moment to leave a review? If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, leave a review on iTunes. I don't know how that works, but on the Apple Podcast app on this show's page, you can leave a review. Please leave a five-star review. (laughs) I love, um, speaking of external validation, I love asking for podcast reviews, but then also being like, please, God, do not leave me anything less than a five-star review. Please don't honestly critique this podcast. Please just give me fluffy, nice compliments. I'm like, I want your review, but do I want an honest, harsh one? Not necessarily. <laughs> just, I again, the majority of my reviews are very kind and they're five stars, as they should be. Uh, <laughs> but also, you're fully entitled to be honest, but I will say, 
do the lower star reviews with some criticism hurt my feelings? Yes, but that's fine because that's the name of the game, you know? So I would like you to leave a review if you would, would not mind. <laughs> what am I saying? Okay, the ice is broken. My computer just fell asleep for a moment. So I'm gonna take a break and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna chat about friendship. Okay, see you in a second. back. So yes, this week's theme is loneliness and friendship, especially in the time of COVID, but also just generally as an adult or whatever phase of life you're in. Uh, I, I used to make a lot more videos about my struggles making friends or feeling like I didn't have friends. That was especially strong while I was in New Orleans because I just felt very lonely and isolated. And yes, to, a, to an extent, I definitely isolated myself. So I will talk about kind of the things that I do to kind of <laughs> sabotage my pursuit of friendships. But anyway, obviously during quarantine, especially this year has been very, very lonely for a lot of people. And so I just wanted to talk about that. So yeah, this is something that's been on my mind a lot generally. I. I feel very nostalgic a lot because I, I was very lucky to have a really solid group of friends, literally from middle school, like age 12, I met a lot of my best friends. We were friends all through the end of high school. And then, you know, we're still friends today and I consider them the people that I'm closest to, but I also feel conflicted because I'm so bad at keeping up with people. Like I, you know, don't call people to just chat and I don't like text people regularly. I'm not in the hometown group chat because they're, they're mostly all still local or at least still in California. So I usually just feel kind of more left out and sad if I'm in the group chat rather than feeling like I'm a part of the discussion. Um, but sometimes it is nice to be in the group chat just to see the memes and to be able to pop in and say hello. But anyway, I have a lot of feelings about that. Um, yeah, a lot of my, my friends are from <laughs> Southern California, as I am, and they've gone to college and a lot of them have already graduated from mostly UCs and they've done really well. Um, and I believe I'm one of the only people from our like core friend group of, I don't know, 12 people um, that has moved far away and been far away for almost like six years now, which is so wild. So I moved to New Orleans and then I studied abroad in France and then I moved to New York and that's where I've been for the last, you know, three, three and a half years. And yeah, so sometimes I just feel left out naturally because I'm so far away. And it's just normal that when you are far away from people, you aren't going to feel as connected, especially when you're not, you know, talking regularly in other forms. Like, I'll reply to my friends' Instagram stories, <laughs> but then I'm like, replying to an Instagram story or, or commenting on their picture is not like, to me, it's not enough to like maintain a friendship. And I always think of The Sims as an analogy, you know, like when you're playing The Sims, you have to interact with people 
a certain number of times or you have to put in certain efforts to maintain the friendship. So I get scared and I'm like, dude, if we were Sims, like this friendship would be nothing. It would have dwindled to zero. Um, I haven't played the Sims in a while, so I don't know if that makes sense. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I just feel this kind of vague nostalgia and sadness and feeling like I've gone away and I've missed out on so many years of memories and, you know, like when they've had rare get togethers, because it's not like my core friend group see each other all the time. They probably only see each other a few times a year, but like I'm usually not around for those moments because I'm across the country and I'm not always able to like fly to California to be there when they happen to get together. So yeah, just feeling a little sad. And also, <laughs> this is somewhat embarrassing. Um, I've had this weird kind of recurring dream, or I guess a recurring theme within my dreams, basically where my hometown best friends all reveal that they don't like me, they've never liked me, and something like that. And so clearly that is a reflection of my own insecurities. Um, and every time I wake up from one of those kind of dreams, I'm just like, ah, cool, nice, awesome. And like, I can, <laughs> I can obviously know, like rationally know that that's not true, that these people do care about me. But yeah, I don't know. There's just, there's definitely a level of like, yeah, just feeling left out and like the, the sadness of drifting away just in time. Like, you know, like I, there's still the friends where when I go home and we see each other, it's great, it's not awkward, we click back into place, but I guess I'm just sad. I'm just a little sad. And I think the root of my sadness is that I've realized I don't have, like, I literally thought about this in terms of, like, MySpace best friends. <laughs> your, your top eight on MySpace, TBT. Um, like, I feel like growing up, I used to be very aware and it was very clear, especially when you're a kid in school, like who is your best friend? Who's your number one? Who's your number two best friend? Like who is, who's your top three best friends? And I don't know why I thought about this recently, but I was like, obviously Nathan is a best friend. He's my partner. He's definitely the person that I'm closest to. Um, but then I'm like, who's my friend? Like who's my best friend right now? And it's like, I don't know who to say that that is based on like the actual characteristics of a best friend. And I think, I think it was Alina Norm's video that I was watching recently, but she was talking about, um, I hope that it was Lena's video. I think so. She was talking about the need for like different friend labels or okay maybe it wasn't lena i don't know i'm sorry the person was talking about the need for different friend labels i might be mixing up two videos from two different people like you need to call an acquaintance an acquaintance because i'm very i'm very quick to call anyone i've even talked to like through twitter or something a friend and I feel like maybe part of that is my desperation to want to say i have a friend wow sad but also um you know, like if I like someone, I'm like, oh, cool, you're my friend, you're my online friend. Um, but I'm like, to be honest, you're an online acquaintance. And then maybe if we meet once or twice in person, you're still a bit of an acquaintance. We have been acquainted, but at what point do you really become friends? And then after a long time, when do you become best friends? And I'm conflicted because I've had a lot of people over the past six years since I first left home who have become good friends, uh, but I don't know if I've 
created any new best friends or like I, I hesitate to call someone a best friend because that feels like very vulnerable and it feels weird for me to want to call someone my best friend if they don't fit into that very narrow category of what I'm what I'm assuming a best friend is um, and also it's like you want it to be a requited best friendship like if someone is my best friend I want to be their best friend I want us to each be each other's number ones um, I've always been very territorial about my best friends especially like through my adolescence and I would always be so jealous if my best friend had another best friend that I wasn't friends with and I would hate to see them refer to each other as best friends because I would just get jealous about it and so <laughs> so I'm like coping with all of that weirdness and yeah mostly I'm just wondering like I know I can't compare adult friendships to the standard of my best friends from my hometown. Again, those people that I knew during my formative years of like 12 to 18. Like, I can't compare that type of relationship where it's like before you even have a job, before anyone has any responsibilities other than school and homework. So it's like, the, you know, when you're young, your best friends are the people that you hang out with every day. You see them multiple times at school. It's assumed you'll hang out after school. You have sleepovers like multiple times a week and they're just constantly with you and it's just always known. You don't even have to ask that you'll be hanging out and whatever and like you know everything about them and you, like there is no updating each other because you're constantly together. And like I think I just miss that. <laughs> I miss that level of closeness and so in adult friendships, I don't think I've had like a new adult best friendship. Like I, I never really made any like best friends in college. Again, I've made friends throughout my college journey and a lot of people that I really admire and love, love. I'm like, do I use the word love? Wow, I got, yes, there are people that I love that I've met through college. Um, I'm, I'm second guessing everything because again, if anyone who knows me personally and is one of my real life friends is listening, please don't question how much I care about you. If anything, I love you a lot and I'm self-conscious and insecure and scared that you don't care about me as much. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so for like, like I, I don't have that college friend group that people, you know, it's, it's a romanticized thing and maybe it's another like stereotype of the typical college experience that most people actually don't have. But again, I know that, but I also feel sad that I don't have that. I'm like, oh, like, you know, people, Again, it's like based on what you see in movies, but like that that close-knit group of friends that met through college and you bond through all the like the weirdness of adjusting to being like an independent adult as like a student and then post-grad life and like I just yeah, I feel like I'm missing out on having that that type of friendship because I don't think I've had that for the last few years. Um and yeah, like trying to think about what an adult friendship is is meant to be and what the expectations should be because clearly like when you're an adult, you're busy, you have your job and you have work to do and you might have family and dependents and partners and you know, just a lot of different responsibilities. So I think even just finding the time to be able to hang out is hard. I think that's a big challenge in terms of making and maintaining adult friendships. And then it's like, 
where do you meet people? <laughs> you know, the classic question. I've been asking this in videos for a long time. Like, how do you make new adult friendships? Like you can try to go like the Bumble BFF route, but I feel like that's a little bit awkward and it's not, how likely is that to, to spark a genuine friendship and connection? I guess it's about as likely as using dating apps for dating. Like, you know, you could be lucky and meet someone great on the first time, or you could use the apps for forever and find a lot of cool, decent people, but nobody that you really click with. I don't know. So I've never tried like friendship apps, but it's something I've considered, especially living in New York. Like I've had so many viewers reach out and say, hey, I live in the city, I'd love to meet up. And like, I would also love to. And the few people that I have met, I've really enjoyed hanging out with. Um, but again, it's like, this is where my, um, introversion comes in because it's like, uh, that's the thing. It's like, I can't, I can't complain about not being able to meet people because I don't have a traditional job. So I don't have like coworkers. So that's one avenue that's not going to happen. And then in school, while we were actually going there in person, I never really interacted with anyone. So like, I wasn't going to make friends on campus as a commuter. And then I do have this very unique community of people who already know me and like me in a parasocial way that I don't know, but it's likely that we could get along because like we probably have shared interests if you watch me and listen to me, you know, like we could probably geek out about internet stuff and media or whatever, uh, maybe studying abroad in France <laughs> or something like that. Um, so I have this unique group of people that I could potentially tap into to try to pursue these friendships. And I almost feel selfish for not doing that more often. But then comes in my next struggle in making and keeping friends, which is, yeah, being introverted, being a person who feels very comfortable in their apartment with their partner. And like, it's hard for me to push myself outside of that. It's hard to make plans not bail on them <laughs> and then and then I've I, you know you hang out with people and you enjoy it but like again to like build that friendship especially a strong deep friendship it takes time and it takes dedication and like you've got to hang out more than once or twice to really have that connection or to see if you click in that deep of a way so then it's like I don't know it just feels almost like a mountain of um something that I have to do that's like just seems really difficult, but I know it's worth it. Like, obviously it's worth it to like put in effort for people that you get along with. Um, but I think my, my introversion and like, I don't want to call myself lazy, but there is like whatever level of me just being like, oh, I'd rather stay home. It's so much easier just to stay home. It's easy to just stay home with my boyfriend, make dinner and like not disrupt my day. And again, this was all pre COVID even. Um, I will say I was getting good at like putting myself out there more, like directly right before COVID was when I was finally getting in the, the groove of things. I had a group of people where we would, um, we would host game night and we would play games and we did that like twice. And I had people that I would meet up and do like political stuff with and like go to like watch parties to like watch the debates. And it was cool to meet people who may have known me from YouTube, but we had a shared interest in politics or like leftist issues. And so like, that was cool. And that made me feel connected to the city a little bit more. And then COVID hit. And, <laughs> you know, obviously, as I said, 
almost everyone is experiencing a lot of loneliness and isolation. And I'm very lucky that I at least live with my partner and that I haven't been actually alone. So for any of you who have been alone or again are otherwise feeling isolated, I totally feel for you. Um, so I've been I've been lucky and I have human contact with a person who means a lot to me and I'm I'm very grateful for that. But also I have been missing friendships and like I always question who I am in terms of like, cause you know, you're influenced by the people that you hang out with. And like, you know, I think I've mentioned this in podcasts or videos a lot, but that classic saying of, you know, you are the five people closest to you type of thing. And I've thought like my social circle in terms of COVID social distancing, it's great. It's small. It's literally Nathan and I, <laughs> like there's nobody else in my regular social circle that I see. So um, that's good again in terms of COVID, but in terms of like who I am as a person and like bouncing off of other people, it's just me and Nathan. And then I guess the only other people I'm in influenced by are like the YouTubers that I watch, which is a very weird parasocial thing. So like if I don't have other people in person to interact with, Am I being influenced by the people that I watch and feeling like those are my friends or like they're, they're the replacement for real life in-person friendships? And um, yeah, so I've been questioning a lot of that because I always wonder like, who am I? <laughs> Classic question. Or like, who am I in different situations and circumstances? Because you know that you're different around different people. You're different when you're at home comfortable with your partner versus when you're with family or when you're with your best friends or when you're with like your casual friends. So like, I feel like I've only really been able to experience this like one version of myself, or maybe there's three. <laughs> I'm the me who's at home with Nathan. I'm the me who's on Zoom with my classes and I say nothing in, in my courses. Um, which is essentially nothing. I am a shell of a person in a small window on an app called Zoom. That is me. <laughs> and then uh, I'm me as in YouTuber influencer, Tiffany Ferg, which that's a whole other basket of worms to get into. Who is that person? Uh, obviously it's me. What form of me is it? I don't know. Uh, so yeah, that's basically what I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, and it's tough. I mean, I, I even struggle to, to, to complain a bit about my quarantine or lockdown situation because, again, I'm very lucky. I, I am home a lot, but that's obviously a privilege right now. And I'm, you know, I, I kind of get annoyed. <laughs> Side note. I want to acknowledge my privilege, but I don't want to be one of those people who's constantly talking about their privilege to like an exhaustive extent. It's like the Jamila Jamil thing. If you saw it recently, someone had commented on a picture that she has really nice skin and she commented this like long paragraph of like, first of all, it's a privilege because I'm wealthy and I've had access to this and that and healthcare and, and good food and blah, blah, blah. Also, uh, you know, like... <laughs> Again, is it good to acknowledge your privilege? And especially as a celebrity who's wealthy and has access to those things, is it good to mention that? Yes. But also in that context of someone just sending you a compliment on Instagram and you like 
well, Jamila, Jamil going off in that way. It was interesting. And it made me think about how people can bring up their privilege or make it clear that they're aware of their privilege without being like so, so much about it. Because again, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. So let me know if that makes any sense. But yes, <laughs> future me cutting in to say people didn't just have a problem with Jamila Jamil like acknowledging her privilege. It was like, she also like called out this person who tweeted her, who literally had a few hundred followers, did not blur out his username and called him essentially a miserable troll and told him to go to therapy because he like pointed out that it was kind of annoying or that he thought it was annoying how she was talking about her good skin privilege. Anyway, I think that that's the big problem that people had with her. But yeah, if you want to look it up, it's all over Twitter or whatever. Interesting. Interesting internet moments. I always feel like, uh, you know, I am in this habit, which is good, of acknowledging and voicing my privilege, but also I don't want to be too annoying with it, I guess. Is there an extent to which it gets annoying? Some people might not be annoyed, and some people might be annoyed just at the word privilege. So uh, I'm lucky that I have a job and that my livelihood has not been disturbed by COVID. I'm very lucky to have an online job. I'm lucky to be a YouTuber. I'm lucky that I can function and do my classes online. I'm lucky to have Wi-Fi and computers and, you know, I, I have food. So being stuck in my apartment is not bad. It's honestly what I would do even if COVID were not a thing. I would still mainly be at home most of the time. So no real complaints other than I think it absolutely is valid to voice your struggles during COVID. A lot of people are having lots of different struggles. It's totally valid to talk about how painful it is to be lonely and how hard it is to not see the people that you love and how hard it is to have, you know, those elements of normalcy that we used to take for granted to not have those anymore. Um, yeah, I would never want to, like, say that people's emotional and mental well-being is not also important right now. Though, of course, rightfully, there is an emphasis on physical um, health and well-being and, like, your material surroundings. So that's that. Um, this, I mean, it's not something I've been really stressed about in terms of like friendships, but it is something that I, you know, it, it comes across my mind every once in a while. And I think, huh, I, I look forward to a day when it'll be safe to interact with people again. I really look forward to the chance to, to get to know new people. But then I'm also like knowing my past self and knowing my habits would I even actually go and take advantage of it in the future? Would I be like, oh, I've learned from this experience and I've seen what I've taken for granted. I'm gonna go meet up with a new person every week. I'm gonna pursue those friendships even though I have to put in effort, you know? I don't know. <sighs> That's fun. <laughs> uh, I just, I miss the person that I am with friends. I miss seeing that side of myself. I miss getting to know people in that way. Obviously, there are just lots of joys that come with the connections that we get from other people. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I've been thinking about. I'm going to take a break, and then we'll come back and we will talk about my recent watches. That's not a good way to introduce the segment. Should I think of a name for this uh, TV and movie consumption? We'll, we'll see. My media list. 
No, that's not good. We'll see. We'll see. I'll think of one, but basically I'm going to tell you the movies and TV that I've watched and give you ratings on how I felt about them. See you in a sec. back. One thing that I realized I forgot to mention, which is on my list here, uh, regarding friendships and loneliness is, uh, I talked a little bit about drifting and being scared that your friendships just naturally drift apart. Obviously people grow, they change. If you literally physically move away, that usually causes a friendship to drift to some extent. And yeah, it's normal. But I wanted to talk about friend breakups because I've heard a lot of people talk about this issue. Um, and sometimes I've gotten asked like advice questions about how to deal with this, but I actually don't think I've really experienced a friend breakup in that like very clear sense, at least not like as in the last like 10 years. I feel like all of my, my friendships I don't know. I can't even think of any that I would necessarily say have ended. So it's hard to say that like I've had a friend break up with anyone, but I certainly have experienced that drifting. So I guess mine are more of like a very slow in imperceptible. I can't pronounce that. Impercept imperceptible. Hmm. A slow, slow, like a candle, a candle slowly burning out over a period of years, but then it never really dies. It's just there flickering weekly. That's how my friendships usually uh, start to dissolve, dissipate. I don't know. I've never had that really like something major happens and we break up, we go from being very close to like nothing. I don't think I've really ever experienced that. Again, like not in the last 10 years or so. Definitely happened in fifth grade, but <laughs> we don't have to get into that again. So yeah, if any of you have experiences about friend breakups and you'd like to share or vent about it in the comments, feel, feel free. But yeah, I don't really have much to say, so I don't know why I brought it up actually, but that's fine. Let's talk about things that I've watched. TV, TV. The last thing, well, no, the last episode I said that I was currently watching something and that I was going to finish it, and I did. And that was the show Ratched. Nurse Ratched, starring Sarah Paulson. Very, very good. Who is the uh, director, producer? Ryan Murphy? Let me Google that. Sorry for all the noises. I always tell myself, don't sit and Google things during the podcast because you can hear everything. But then I do it again. Yes, Ryan Murphy, executive producer and program creator. I'm a big fan of Ryan Murphy. I know some people have beef with his stuff, but I think I'm a fan. <laughs> it's probably not the most unpopular opinion because like he's a very successful TV screenwriter, director, and producer. He has made Nip Tuck, didn't know that, Glee, did know that. I was never into Glee though. So again, that's another thing I can't really relate to when people talk about like TBT, Glee, Iconic, memorable middle school things. I was not into Glee, but maybe I would enjoy it if I went back and watched it now. Um, American Horror Story, yes, big fan. Sarah Paulson collaborations, absolutely. Uh, Scream Queens, I think I watched a bit of that. Pose, Pose as well? Wow, there are a lot. I haven't seen Pose, but I heard about it in my intro to LGBTQ studies, so maybe I should watch Pose. The Politician, 
I did watch and I did enjoy. And yeah, now I'm making all the connections that are very Ryan Murphy. So I should have known. And also Ratched. Didn't he also make Hollywood? Yeah. I really enjoyed Hollywood as well. That came out this year. That feels like 100 years ago. Uh, yes, I enjoyed Hollywood. We don't have to get into that. But I know some people had problems with it because I read reviews on it afterward. And, you know, people didn't really like the, I guess you could say, like, rewriting of history in terms of being like, what if Hollywood had been more progressive and less racist or like what if one show or movie could change it all if people just did it you know I don't know uh I would have to think a lot more to to have a hot take on that topic but overall as a show watching it I enjoyed Hollywood so this show came out Ratched and I really liked it again who doesn't love Sarah Paulson she is so talented she is wonderful uh, I generally can say I'm a fan of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know? I've seen the movie once or twice, and uh, I think I read the book in AP Lit in high school, if I'm remembering correctly. So, Nurse Ratched is a key character from that novel and later film adaptation, and this series, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if it would, like, really be close to, um, you know, the actual concept of the book, and it's not. It doesn't involve any of the other characters, I believe. But trying to expand on Nurse Ratched and be like, oh, what could be her background? What could be this other kind of universe version of her? I find that interesting. Uh, I'm looking at the, the ratings now. It has a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb and a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. I haven't really heard anyone talking about it uh, on Twitter or anything, so I don't know what the popular takes are, but generally, I enjoyed it, okay? I liked it. And again, we love Sarah Paulson. We love her. I enjoyed it, and I hope there's a season two because they definitely set it up for that. And then, on a very different note, the next show, <sighs> I could actually cry. <laughs> Great British Bake Off is back. I... I mean, this is a popular opinion, very. This is the most wholesome and relaxing show that exists, especially in terms of the reality food, cooking, baking competition shows. Great British Bake Off is just such a gem. It is so comforting to watch, and I didn't realize how much I needed it during this time until I finally got to see it. I know there was a celebrity version made maybe earlier this year, um, and I wish I had been able to see it. I haven't seen it yet. I think I'd have to look on a VPN and try to find it somewhere. All I know is Louis Theroux was on it, and I love Louis Theroux, so I would love to see him in Bake Off. Um, I also think that the American Netflix name for it is like the Great British Baking Show, but I watch, or I guess I subscribe to the actual British name, which is Great British Bake Off. It's Bake Off, baby. Um, yeah, we, we just watched the first episode. It is coming out one episode at a time on Fridays on Netflix. And so we finally got to watch it. And it was so nice. The whole time it was on, I was like, I don't want this to end. I need it. I need it to last forever. And then I remembered I could watch 
old seasons and probably still enjoy it just as much. So I'm very excited. That's really gonna make my Friday nights even better than they already are. It's Chipotle night every week. Um, and this is part of our new tradition is enjoying Great British Bake Off for, you know, the next 10, 12 weeks. Oh, I'm so excited. But I'm also like, why isn't it Friday again? I need it, hurry up, give me more episodes. Thank you. How do you guys feel about when shows do this kind of staggered release? I mean, it's essentially similar to TV because I think Great British Bake Off is still posted on, posted on TV. What am I saying? I think it's still like a TV show primarily in Britain, so in the UK, you know? So anyway, I, I don't watch like any TV shows that come out like that. I only watch things on streaming platforms that sometimes mirror their TV releases. So I don't know what my point is, but I, on one hand, hate it, obviously, because I want to see every episode immediately, and I would ideally like to binge it in one or two nights, but also I do appreciate being able to enjoy something slowly and, you know, to make a metaphor related to Bake Off. It's like taking one sweet, savory... <laughs> That's totally contradictory. It's like savoring one bite at a time and really chewing it and like enjoying the flavors and the um, uh, the, the density. Mm, never mind. I don't know what I'm saying. All I'm saying is it is kind of nice to be forced to very slowly consume something, especially in this binge society in terms of uh, media that we watch. That's that's what I'm saying. I'm excited. I'm, 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 I'm excited for Bake Off, period. <sighs> Finally, let's get into the films that I have watched. I have maybe eight movies to share this week, and I have them ranked again from least fave to favorite. So first we have Get Me Roger Stone, two stars. It is a 2017 documentary about dirty liar Roger Stone, who has worked with Trump. Um, I put quotations around dirty liar. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but like he's known as this like dirty lying person in terms of like his work in politics and like lobbying, I think, and like political consulting. So definitely not quotations because it's untrue because it is certainly true. He does appear to actually be quite a dirty liar. Um, two stars because Honestly, it's painful for me to watch anything like focused on Trump. It just like, it's so sickening to me and so disturbing that like, I just don't enjoy watching it. And that's primarily how I rate my movies and things that I watch is like, did I enjoy this? And like, no, I didn't. Also, I will say the documentary to me was a little bit boring. I don't know. I just wasn't, I wasn't intrigued. It was a required viewing for one of my classes, so I did watch it, but I was not very invested. Learned a teeny bit about Roger Stone, but I'm glad that's over. <laughs> Next film, Christopher Strong, Two Stars. This is a 1933 film directed by Dorothy Arzner, starring Katherine Hepburn. This was actually her second film ever. And Two Stars. I mean, I feel like that's accurate. Essentially, the plot is that Katherine Hepburn plays this independent woman who is a pilot and she's very, like in some ways she's very modern and kind of like the image of a 
progressive or feminist woman, especially in the 30s. Um, but she falls for a married man who at the beginning is well known for the fact that he's very loyal to his wife. So the film is very messy. It's like a very melodramatic movie. Um, I just, I wasn't very into it. The ending, I will not spoil for you, even though this film is like 90 years old. <laughs> um, but if you want to look up the ending, mm, the ending's not great. It's not ideal. It's not the way you would like things to end. But that's all I'll say about that. Two stars. Would not watch again, but somewhat interesting for the context, I guess. Next film, The Social Dilemma. Three stars. This is a 2020 documentary. A lot of people have been talking about it. A lot of people has, have messaged me asking if I'll make a video or a response to it, which I've considered. It's still a possibility. Um, on one hand, I'm like, oh, it brings up a lot of interesting things, but also I'm like, it's almost like exhausting to think about, <laughs> which is kind of how I feel every time I start the daunting task of writing a video. I'm like, ah, oh, it's fascinating, but do I really wanna get into all of that? Hmm. It's gotta be the right place, right time. So maybe you'll see it eventually, probably after the videos or the movies not being talked about anymore. So yeah, it's essentially about, um, well, like it starts with the framing of ex-tech workers, Silicon Valley people who were like central figures in building a lot of the major internet tools and apps that we know and love and hate a little bit and how they participated in the shittiness, essentially, and now regret it because they've realized that uh, the technology is out of our hands and it's advancing at such an exponential rate that we really can't control it anymore and we can't take it back. How do we rectify the harm that social media causes in terms of like mental health and how do we, hi Nathan, that's okay. Um, <laughs> How do we how do we begin to you know stop people from being so addicted to social media when it was designed to be addictive and like people are people and now being involved on social media is like not necessary but like it's very very hard to abstain from being active on social media whether that's for just personal reasons you just want to be in the know you want to keep up with things you use it for the news um, you don't want to miss out but also like professionally and in terms of like branding, we feel compelled to keep up presences online. So for all of these different reasons and the actual addictive, you know, nature of the technologies, it's hard to stop. And now it's like this, you know, it is the monster that Dr. Frankenstein created. So it's not like the most, um, <laughs> it's not the most original take because obviously we've heard a lot of these tech people, Silicon Valley people say that like, oh, I don't let my own kids have a cell phone or I don't let my kids have social media until they're 16. And so it's like, oh, okay, we've got the people who have created this technology doing this and like protecting their own families and selves from it. But then they're like, hey, here, give iPads and phones to your kids when they're two years old. So whatever, it, it's been said. But I will say I did enjoy the dramatization aspect of the film. Um, some people probably didn't. When it first started, I didn't like like the family and like they're trying to like use each kid as an example. And then you've got the like older teenage sister who's like 
she's like, you should get off social media and like, you know, quit your phone, use a flip phone. I don't know if she said that, but she's, she's the contrarian. And uh, then you've got the younger kids who are more addicted for different reasons. At first, I didn't like that, but my favorite part are the three guys who like are in the Facebook newsfeed algorithm essentially. And they're the ones who decide like which ads to show you and when, and they're the ones who are behind the scenes, like pulling the strings and sending you notifications to try to get you back in. So I thought that that like visualization was kind of entertaining. Um, and it, you know, made me think a lot about <laughs> I guess, how, how these things work and how effective they are. So I, when I was watching this, was like, okay, I really need to be serious. I really need to cut down my screen time because it is atrocious. I should cut down on my social media. You know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then like 10 minutes after watching the movie, I was, you know, back scrolling through Twitter and, and Instagram mindlessly. But I did actually commit to finally officially deleting my Facebook. Um, Cause I meant to do that like a long time ago. And then like, I realized it was tied up in a lot of things and um, I had had it deactivated for a long time, but I was like, I finally just want it deleted. I want it gone. So I've started that process and it's kind of weird. It's kind of, kind of hard to say goodbye. Like even though I already saved my um, photos, I downloaded them all. It's just a little weird to like, disappear from a platform that's been a big part of my life. Like Facebook was a big part of my life, like through middle school and high school. So it's kind of, kind of weird, but also there's no point in me having it. And I would like to be rid of, rid of it. It would, it would make me feel lighter. It would make me feel like one less tech thing that's like invaded my mind, even though I haven't been using Facebook regularly in a long time. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess at the end, uh, the interviewees were asked, like, do you have any suggestions for people? Like, what should people do? Um, side note, like some of them have, sa have said that now they work in like, they're trying to fight against Silicon Valley and all the giants like Apple, Google, Instagram, Facebook. Um, they're trying to force Silicon Valley to be more ethical, which is a big, <laughs> a big challenge and also very hard. It's like a very nebulous concept. Like what is ethical social media? What is ethical tech? And definitely there are some very important points and arguments to be made in terms of that. And I'd rather somebody be out there fighting for ethical tech than have no one care to do it. But like how effective will that be? Especially when you're dealing with like these corporations are so powerful and so influential that it's like, that's the problem. It's like, they're, they're too big to fail. <laughs> I don't know if they've been called that, like the banks, but they're definitely too big to control and like too big to regulate because again, they're everywhere. In, in our politics and finances and they're so wrapped up in so many elements of our individual lives, but also our society. Like who takes on Google and how? I don't know, good questions. But anyway, at the end of the film, a lot of them had suggested one good thing to do is to turn off your push notifications. And that I can agree with 100%. I've had my notifications turned off for I think years, like I would never ever want Instagram notifications or like Twitter notifications. I don't need anything else pushing me to come back. That's what it is. It's a push notification. 
It's a little push. They're trying to push you to click that app. Hello, I already clicked the app a million times a day. I don't need more things telling me, oh, someone just tweeted this. Oh, someone followed you. Someone sent you a DM. No, I already check it too much on my own time, my own free will. I don't need reminders, okay? But really, um, you know, obviously to take off those notifications is a good idea because um, again, you're, you're likely to still be checking the apps, but at least you're not gonna be like, ding, like you're not gonna have to deal with that. Also, my phone is always on silent. Like I don't even like the sound of vibrations. Like I, if someone around me has a phone that's vibrating every few minutes, it, it bothers me so much because I've been conditioned to like, you know, react to that, that sound. Um, somebody in, in psychology, please explain what I'm trying to say. Some sort of conditioning. Um, we're conditioned to react to these sounds and these alerts and vibrations, and I just don't like it. I would prefer my phone to be silent, um, and I want as minimal notifications as possible. Though I have noticed some apps, like the ones I've downloaded more recently, have been sneaking in because I forgot to turn the notifications off. So I think I need to go back through and like turn off notifications for everything other than like completely essential things. But like, what's even essential? What do I really need a notification for? I guess maybe like a, <laughs> like a food delivery app. I would probably need that notification just to like know when my food's on the way. But other than that, like I'm gonna be checking my apps. So like, I don't need a notification, thank you. Oh, I forgot that I was in the middle of this list of movies. Got way too deep into that. Anyway, that was The Social Dilemma, three stars. Generally, I enjoyed it. Um, I think it is thought-provoking, but it's also not the most mind-blowing and original documentary because um, I do think a lot about social media just in like my work and also my studies. Um, and I recently took a class on digital privacy. So a lot of these things have been on my mind lately. So it wasn't like completely new to me, but I think it still is important and worth a watch, I guess. Next up on my list, Badlands, 3.5 stars. This is a 1973 crime drama directed by Terrence Malick, starring Martin Sheen, who I got lost in a Wikipedia wormhole because um, Martin Sheen is Charlie Sheen's father, but also who's the guy? The guy from The Breakfast Club is Charlie Sheen's brother, and I didn't know that, and they have a different last name, but but Charlie and Martin go by Sheen because I guess it's more, it's more Americanized and it's more easy for show business, apparently. I don't know, but um, got sucked into a little wormhole looking at their whole family tree. Um, in that film, because it's 1973, Martin Sheen is very young, and he his character is supposed to be like a very overtly James, I just stuttered saying that, James Dean type of dude, because the, the film was made in the 70s, but it's kind of set in the 50s, vaguely. And then we have Sissy Spacek, who, if you've ever seen Carrie, is a queen, and she's definitely got that naturally kind of spooky vibe. She's got something about her and she she plays to that well in this film. By the way, very disturbing that in this film, Sissy Spacek's character is like, oh, Nathan's walking very gently to not squeak the floors, carrying an entire jug of orange juice to our room. Enjoy it. <laughs> Get that vitamin C. Um, anyway, Sissy Spacek's character in this film is like a teenager, like maybe 15 and Martin Sheen is a full-grown 
man. So that's gross, but that's just one element of this crime drama that is disturbing and off-putting, but I guess it's somewhat uh, a part of the narrative that's important. So this is like obviously a very uh, Bonnie and Clyde-esque film. I think it took some inspiration from that movie um, and also the real life Bonnie and Clyde. It's like, you know, the classic runaway couple doing crime, killing people. Uh, and it's it's got a very dreamy atmosphere. Sissy Spacek does the narrations and it's just, it's interesting. Um, I enjoyed it, you know, I, I, I I enjoyed learning the background information for my class because this was a required watch as well. Um, I think only one movie on this list was not required and I'll mention that next. So next is Enola Holmes, 3.5 stars. This was not required by any of my classes, but I just watched it last weekend. This is a 2020 release and it is starring the great Millie Bobby Brown, Henry Cavill <laughs> as Sherlock Holmes, Sam Claflin, and Helena Bonham Carter. So I remember seeing the promo for this and I just thought it looked like a really fun adventure movie. Again, just something I can just turn my brain off and enjoy, uh, which it was, but there's also an added element of a cute teenage romance, which I'm a sucker for, you know, it's cute. It's nice, so I enjoyed that. And generally my big takeaway was that Millie Bobby Brown is just extremely talented and I'm very excited to see um, everything that she continues to do in her career because she is great and I love her performances. And it was cool to um, see all of these native, native Brits, I guess. Uh, you know, I don't know why, like, why, why is that interesting? I'm like, wow, this movie, like, these are all actual genuine British accents, English accents, whatever type of accents. Don't yell at me if I get that wrong. I always flippantly say, like, or I, I flippantly am like, oh, British, UK, English, they're all the same, which I know they're not, but whatever. I like that the accents are genuine. Like nobody's putting on an accent. We don't have Americans coming in and trying to do a little bit of a Sherlock Holmes and Nola Holmes. I'm sorry, you know I had to do it and I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's take a break and then I will talk about my last three films. See you in a sec. back. Let's get into these last few films of the week. We have McCabe and Mrs. Miller, four stars. This is a 1971 Western, but it's also an anti-Western. Interesting. It's directed by Robert Altman. And um, I don't know, it's, it's always funny looking back on what I've rated something because I'm like, huh, did I really like rate that, that amount of stars? Like, is that over under uh, selling it? But um, I'm like, okay, in terms of the actual film, if I had just watched this and knew none of the background, I probably would have rated it like two stars, but learning about the process and doing the readings for my class that were related to this film uh, definitely added my appreciation for it. So uh, I guess Robert Altman's movies are a lot about like realism, like that's one of his uh, kind of strategies in the films that he has created. Um, I don't think I've seen other Altman films, so I can't really speak to that firsthand. But um, 
This movie's realism comes from partially that they filmed this in Canada and they like actually cleared like forest and built a town as the set for this film. So they were filming the movie as the town was actually being built and like the extras were the actual carpenters who were just dressed in um, period outfits. Cause this is supposed to be like, uh, I guess early 1800s question mark. Um, so yeah, they're like, the way that the film was actually put together and created was very fluid. There's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of improvisation. Um, also the script was continuously changed while the movie was being shot. So like Altman and the actors didn't know exactly what to expect <laughs> for the movie entirely. Um, and you know, a day before shooting would just decide, okay, this will be the next scene and then we'll go this direction. So that's somewhat interesting. And yeah, I would, I would recommend it. It's, uh, it is beautifully shot. There were a lot of really, really beautiful uh, landscapes. I like the cinematography. Um, I don't know if you'd enjoy it, but if you're into 70s film and or westerns or anti-westerns, then you might dig it. I don't know. Uh, okay, my last two films. The Shining, five stars. Okay, I actually, this was my first time ever watching the entirety of The Shining, which is shocking. Uh, it is the 1980 classic horror film directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. The Shining is so much a part of the, the cultural lexicon. Is that even the right way to say that phrase? I don't know. It's such a part of like pop culture and it's been alluded to so many times and the classic scenes have been played and like, so even if you haven't seen The Full Shining, like I hadn't before this, there was so much of the film that I already knew just because it's been discussed and referenced so many times. So like, you know, the twins, come play with us, Danny. And the like blood rushing down the hallway and the here's Johnny, like <laughs> all of that is very, very popular. And it's been, uh, it's been made fun of, but it's also been celebrated in media so much since. So yeah. Uh, I was excited to watch the whole thing. I don't know, I don't know why I had never watched the whole thing prior to this, but it just never happened. So it was a good time to do it. Um, I had to write a paper on this film. So I was paying extra close attention, taking notes as I watched, and I, I did not do well writing the paper. <laughs> I have only... I don't think I've ever turned in a paper late until this paper. It was a pretty short one, but I had to focus on the music in The Shining, which I can admit or recognize is impressive and interesting, but I don't know how to vocalize that. I don't know how to write about music. I have no education about music or music theory. So I did the readings for this assignment, but I was like, I don't know how to like explain this. Again, like I can read it and somewhat understand what they're saying, but I don't know how to write about how the music was used. So I got stressed. I had to do a presentation on Zoom for my class and the presentation went all right. Um, I decided to focus on the Native American motifs in the film um, to see if there's any like particular significance other than just general plot points and also i wanted to explore some fan conspiracy theories because there's a documentary called room 237 
that was, I think, uh, put out in like 2012 that focuses on the shining theories and like, like what is the movie really about? Or like, why, why is this in there? And so like, it's kind of a classic example of people reading very, very deeply into every detail of the film and like making these theories. So it's kind of interesting. I haven't actually seen the documentary, so I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't think it's that great, <laughs> but yes, I did my little presentation. I got through that. Woo! Only a little bit of shaky voice because as we know, I suffer from, I don't know what it's called. Why can't I do a pre... <laughs> Why can't I do any kind of presentation or public speaking when I don't think I'm nervous, but clearly I am because I get this shaky voice that sounds like I'm going to cry, which by the way is different than this current voice that you might be hearing. This is when I speak for over an hour during quarantine, my voice goes and I almost lose it. <clears throat> oh God. Is anyone else struggling with this? Like if I have a phone call or a long like Zoom meeting, like my voice is gone. And obviously I'm not speaking a lot anymore and I haven't spoken much in months. So every time I even film a video, it's like I'm exhausted by the end because it's, it's hard to talk and my voice is not used to being used as much. So that's that. I gave, I gave The Shining five stars. Five stars. Oh yes, and about my paper. I turned it in a day late or I guess like 12 hours late because I finally got to the point. I was writing it at like midnight the night before it was due. And I was like, I'm just simply not gonna get this. Like, it's not clicking for me. I just need to wait. I didn't know what my professor's policy on late papers was because it's not in the syllabus. So I was like, huh, she might not accept this at all. Or she might deduct, you know, 10% of the grade. I don't know. But I was like, I was like, I just need to accept it. And also I'm in my finer, <laughs> finer, I'm in my final semester of my degree. And I've gotten to the point where I, you know, there's no point in stressing myself out and making myself cry over a paper that's worth 20% of my grade. I'll get it done when I can and turn in my best. And my best does not have to be perfect. So yeah, I had a conflicted moment where I was like, but what about my GPA? What if this paper makes me get a B in this class? And then I'm like, I'm, I'm almost 25 years old. I'm not planning on going to grad school. So why does my college GPA matter? And then the previously gifted part of my brain is like, oh, because you still put so much validation in your GPA as a numeric value of your intelligence or your dedication to your studies. And like, you wanna be an honors student or graduate with something. And like, I'm not gonna graduate with top honors, maybe second, second level honors. But then I'm like, oh my God, if I get a B, that might put my honors graduation in, in jeopardy. And I'm like, also, Graduation means nothing. It's gonna be on Zoom. And also, again, of all things to put effort in and, and worry myself and stress myself about, there are things that are worth it. And I'm sure my final assignments will be a lot more important and necessary for me to uh, turn in on time and do well. But um, I, wrote a, I wrote a decent paper. I hope I get a good grade on it. I will lose some points, but that's okay. Okay? <laughs> and my last movie. Taxi Driver, five stars. I feel like these last two are like the example of like, like any film student dude who's like, yes, I love movies. I love The Shining. I love Kubrick. I love Scorsese. And like, so I kind of feel like that typical film bro. But also I'm like, I'm not going to be the contrarian who's like, yeah, this classic film, hate it. One star. Like if I enjoy a movie, I enjoy it. 
And so that is what is reflected in my ratings. So yes, Taxi Driver, five stars. This was also my first viewing of a classic film. This is the 1976 film directed by Martin Scorsese. I did look up the pronunciation of his last name because I mentioned it in the last episode. Uh, I think he pronounces it Scorsese. But then it's like, is that the real Italian way to say it? I don't know. So Martin Scorsese, sure. Starring Robert De Niro. And I've got to say, I was struck by how hot Robert De Niro was at this point. I had never seen any of his like early films. So like I haven't seen 70s De Niro until now. And I just did not know that he was so attractive. You may not find this character in this film attractive, which like, of course the character is disturbing, uh, but De Niro, I think is objectively attractive in this film. Okay, so I enjoyed that. That definitely added to my rating here. <laughs> so um, yeah, like Taxi Driver was another film where like, especially as an ex-film student, it's like, how have you never seen Taxi Driver? It's like, I don't know, when would I just decide to watch this? Like, I don't know. I need to look into like the film bro stereotype or trope and be like, when do you guys like watch these movies? Do you just have like parents who watch these movies with you? Like, hey son, like you might wanna watch Land Before Time, but like, why not watch Taxi Driver with me? Like, I don't know, my parents never watched these movies. I didn't, and then I never felt compelled to watch them until now. And hey, I enjoyed them, so cool. Um, so yeah, Taxi Driver is well known for, uh, I had always heard people talk about how violent and shocking the end of the film is. And I think I had a picture in my mind of what that would be, but then it ended up being different than I expected. Like, okay, so there's the, <sighs> There's like the, the peak of the action at the end of the film, the peak of the violence, and then there's like a bit of a twist. And so I don't want to spoil it for you, even though again, it's a, oh God, a 20, a 15, no, can't do math. 25 plus 20, a 45 year old movie, pretty much. Wow, that's, that's wild. Um, <laughs> it's an old film, relatively speaking, so probably not, too spoiler crazy, but I'm not gonna ruin it for you. The ending was different than I expected, that's all. Was I pleasantly surprised? Maybe. I don't know, I don't know. I, I liked it, the ending, I guess. Uh, and also, just noting, I have to watch a lot more Martin Scorsese films this semester, so in future episodes, you are gonna continue to hear me rate these movies. I hope I continue to enjoy them, because generally, I've liked them. That's so funny. I'm like, I'm like, huh, I don't know. Have you guys heard of this director? I don't know if you've, he's, it might be pretty low key. His name's Martin Scorsese. Um, I don't know, he has a lot of pretty good films. <laughs> you should check him out. Yeah, Scorsese. Yeah, I don't, I don't think a lot of people know about him. It's kind of surprising. <laughs> like literally one of the most renowned, famous, celebrated directors. <sighs> but also is it, a little, is it a little bit boring to continue to celebrate the most celebrated directors. But again, as I said, I'm not gonna be the one who's like, oh, these like well-known, famous male directors, they actually suck. Cause like some of them I'm sure do. And some of their movies I'm sure do suck. But like, again, if I enjoy a film, I enjoy a film. We can talk about separating the art from the artist and all of those other issues sometime, but Sometimes I just want to put my movie in Letterboxd and give it a rating that reflects how I felt about watching it. So, five stars. 
Five stars, baby. All right, that is the end of this uh, podcast for today. My voice is going, and I'm done talking, and I want to make dinner. And I've got to drink this water. I don't know if you can see it. I don't think you can. Uh, I've been self-conscious that you might be able to see in the video version how little water I have consumed during this, but that's fine. I'll drink it, I swear. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcast if you would be so kind. And uh, if you're listening on YouTube, please leave me a comment. I love validation. And also, I hope that you're feeling well and safe and um, I hope you can find joy and watch comforting shows and movies. And uh, yes, please stay tuned for our next episode of Previously Gifted. Okay, thanks. Bye!